everybody. Welcome back to the So We Speak podcast. This is Cole Fakes, and after a week away, which with a podcast I really enjoyed, uh, we are back together with Terry Fakes to do the So We Speak podcast together. So thanks for filling in last week. Hey, no problem. This week we want to do a, a kind of a, um, a different sort of book overview. So we've been going through books of the Bible talking about things to know before you read them and study them, different passages and background info. And, you know, when you get to a book like the Psalms, how could you do an overview of the Psalms in one podcast? That would be one very long podcast. Right. And hopefully, as you can see at the bottom of this episode, this one is not that long. (laughs) So we wanted to start to break down the Psalms, you know, over the course of, I don't know how many podcasts, but several podcasts with different aspects of the Psalms. And the way we're going to start that today is by talking about praying through the Psalms. And this has become kind of a little vogue thing. You know, there's this is something that's really caught fire, I think, in the last 20 years or so. But it's been something that has been true about the church from the very beginning of not just the New Testament church, but the Israelite people, is singing and praying the songs of God, which is what the Psalter is. It's the songbook of the Bible, both Old Testament and New Testament. And uh, so we want to approach praying and thinking through the Psalms and talk about how to do that. So in order to, to start, maybe we'll give a little bit of background information as to why you would even do something like this. So why, uh, when you're reading other passages of the Bible and studying them, should you pray the Psalms? Yeah, great question. I One thing you said when we were talking recently about the Psalms is that the modern church has been anemic in their interest in the Psalms compared to the past 2,000 years of Christian history and before that, Mm -hmm. 800 years of Jewish history. And I think that's true, although you are seeing more books being written now and attention being drawn back to the Psalms. And Mm -hmm. I think God's people have always been drawn to these Psalms. They are there for a reason. And one of the reasons they're there is to put it into song and to uh, basically express the language of our heart that sometimes we don't really have words for. Uh, John Calvin's famous for saying that in the, uh, paraphrasing, in the Psalms, you will find there every human emotion that we might have as if in a mirror. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's one reason for reading the Psalms and letting them be a springboard for prayer or sometimes even the very words we can't come up with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that to the comment on being anemic, the, the, the thing that you see when you start to do a little research on the Psalms in church history is whether it's the Jews and uh, the culture of the, of Jewish life in the first century and afterwards, or if it's in monasteries all through Christian history, it was not irregular for religious people, Jews and Christians, to move through significant portions, if not all of the Psalter, in a week. I mean, these these were regularly prayed and sung parts of their lives. And, you know, the move back towards the Psalm has, Psalms has to do with books on praying the Psalms, new kinds of commentaries on the Psalms. Although right. there's some great old commentaries on the Psalms too, but mm-hmm. new kinds of commentaries, theological interpretation, or uh, things that are a little bit more sensitive to the emotive force, the poetic force of the Psalms, like Robert Alter's translation, for example. Exactly. Um, or in the Brazos series, Ellen Cherry's 
commentary is really That's sensitive to the emotive aspects of the Psalms. She says that the Psalms are pain-seeking understanding. That is the lens of the Psalms. It's a beautiful phrase, pain-seeking understanding. And that adds an aspect to what we typically do when we read the Bible, when we read the Psalms, which is think about it. Uh, Psalms forces us to feel about it, forces us to come to grips with what's going on in the deeper parts of who we are. And I think a regular steady diet of the Psalms gears us up to uh, respond to God and to respond to other people in different ways than we typically think about the Bible Mm -hmm. uh, influencing us. And so you have a couple of paradigms for thinking about the Psalms and thinking about how we engage with the Psalms that I think are really helpful. Yes, let me go into that. Before we do, though, if I could recommend a book, uh, we ought to be getting some kind of kickback from Crossway. But I really like Crossway published a little, when I say little, it's maybe what, four by six, something like that. Small book that just contains the Psalms. It's on nice paper where you can make notes if you want to. And uh, on my bedside table, I have a little copy of, I forgot the name of it, but it's basically Crossway's edition of the Psalms. Mm-hmm. 150 Psalms, that's all that's in this little book. Yeah, it's like a reader's edition. Uh, yeah, exactly. We'll look it up, but it's a, yeah, it's, it doesn't it's have a commentary edition. or anything. It just is a little edition have verses of the Psalm. Right. Yeah. And that's what I read before bed at night is I just have decided, I decided this about two years ago and I've just kept it up because I really like it. I'll just read a psalm or two every evening. And it's not an intellectual exercise. For some reason, when I read the psalms like that, it doesn't draw me into, ooh, I wonder what that Hebrew word is. Mm -hmm. And, oh, I wonder what the theology of this is. It's just a relational kind of diet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I would recommend that. You can use your regular Bible to do this, by the way, obviously. But I love that little addition. It is really nice. But speaking of paradigms, uh, and kind of going back to the idea of pain-seeking understanding, Walter Brueggemann, let me start with him. He wrote a book on basically praying the Psalms, and uh, there's some things I really like about Brueggemann, and I like this paradigm. He said, basically, we move through phases in our lives where we move from being securely oriented, and then we would move into a time of being painfully disoriented. And what that means is that circumstances change. Uh, Perhaps a loved one passes away. Perhaps there's relational issues in our family. Perhaps there's, we lose a job. We go from being somewhat securely oriented spiritually, emotionally, physically, and there are always going to be times when we become painfully disoriented. And he says the Psalms are situated for this painful disorientation. And he says that when you come out the other side of that, and the Psalms can be your guide, you become surprisingly reoriented. Hmm. And it very much mirrors that idea of pain-seeking understanding. Mm -hmm. He said, you know, you move into periods of disorientation, and the Psalms, that's exactly where they're situated, is in various kinds of disorientation in our lives and turning to God to find a reorientation in God. There's something about that that resonates with me. Yeah, I love that idea. And as a conceptual framework, I think that's really important for the way that we encounter the Psalms. You know, people make the same analogy with uh, simplicity. So you have the sign that you know a little bit about something is that you are simplistic about it. Mm -hmm. You, You reduce it down in a way that loses a lot of the meaning. And then you go through complexity and you really learn about something. And you're not a master of that thing until you come out the other side and then you can say something simply, not simplistically, 
yes. simply, where you capture the essence of something in a way that makes sense. And that's the way that we see our emotions when we encounter the Psalms. So like you said, the reorientation comes after a period of breakdown, after right. a period of chaos. Right. And it's then distilled into a healthier and more stable form, uh, which is that reorientation around the world the way that God says it is. You know, that's a really great point you make because a lot of the times I find the Psalms different and usually just pretty much when I need it. You know, mm-hmm. God sort of brings things to you when you need them. But as I'm reading through my one or two in the evening before bed, I will find that there are phrases or portions of a psalm mm-hmm. that strike a chord. And I, I really like your analogy. Uh, you, you and I both know that when you're trying to understand a concept, it goes from being simplistic to very complex. And you mm-hmm. cannot really articulate it without a great deal of complexity. And right. then when you understand it, it's like you said, and so when I'm in the middle of certain things, my emotions, my spirit, if you will, mm-hmm. is in turmoil. Right. It's stirred up. And I don't know that I could express, I could probably talk to you for an hour about how I'm feeling about this or thinking about this, and but I don't think you'd gather any coherent thread. Right. And But it's when that I, struggle. It's that struggle. That the Psalms facilitate. Yes. And it's also that struggle that is the process of maturity. And I'm. This is going to sound a little bit of a little bit harsh, but I don't mean it this way. The church, overall, does a great job of letting us know that we need to be discipled in our behavior. Yeah. Does a terrible job of letting us know that we need to be discipled in our emotions. And one of the things that the Book of Psalms does is disciples our emotions. And uh, you know, we live in a culture, and I think the church is really influenced by the culture here that says if you feel it. It is true, undeniably true for you, right? Mm-hmm. It is your truth. Well, that is not the way that the Bible approaches right. emotions. The, the Bible gives validity to emotions, yes. but it doesn't give carte blanche to emotions. And what the Psalms does is it begins to disciple our emotions. And I know your second paradigm is going to get to this, uh, so I don't want to steal your thunder here, but, it, but something I've been thinking about is we had Marigold over at the house the other day, mm-hmm. who's my niece, your granddaughter, and just a perfect, brilliant child, probably going to be the next, I don't know, Chief Justice on the Supreme Court or something. <laughs> but anyway, we were reading a book together. One of her favorite things to do is read books. And we have this little book at the house where you have these grooves in the book. And in the purpose of reading is you read it and then you use your finger to trace these little grooves and they teach you these different shapes. Mm-hmm. So you can do a triangle, you can do Square, little mountains or squiggles, yeah. you can do curves and circles and everything. And the point of it is when you read it and you trace the little shapes, then she traces the little shapes and her finger gets used to going in those little grooves and she learns the feel of those shapes and of those motions and things. Great illustration. And, um, you know, it just struck me as we were talking about the Psalms and having read that book, you know, more times than I'd like to mention, uh, that is really what we're trying to do in the Psalms is not just to stand back and say, okay, this Psalm captures the emotion of anger or this person is ashamed or this person is uncertain. Instead, what the Psalms allow you to do is to get into an emotion, whether you are feeling it vicariously through the author or whether you're feeling it in the moment 
And it provides these well-worn grooves for how these emotions should play out. You know, we're going to talk about some of our favorites later in the episode, but there are well-worn paths in the Psalms for the way that you should respond to disappointment, for example. Right. Or to feeling alone, for yes. example. Uh, or feeling angry, or feeling like everybody's having fun in their sin but you, you know, right. because you've decided to be righteous. You uh-huh. know, I mean, that is a very common thing in the Psalms, and there are good, righteous ways to have that emotion and have it bring you closer to God. And they are like those little grooves that God's provided for us in the Psalms that allow us to grow in our emotions, that allow us to do some time-tested and spirit-ordained emotional discipleship. That really is one of the purposes of the Psalms. That's really an astute point. If you get nothing else out of this podcast, that is a powerful idea. Because I do think you're probably right in your accusations of the modern church, painting with a very broad brush. But because we do see discipleship of behavior, but not so much of emotions. And the idea that all emotions are valid I think we need to validate the fact that, yes, you do feel that way, but they are not necessarily true. Mm-hmm. And the pattern that you will see, and I'll show you in one of my favorite Psalms, you actually see this exact pattern, is David, for example, will begin by expressing his feelings. Then he will move on to what he knows to be true. And it's almost, when you read the Psalm, it's like David is preaching to himself mm-hmm. to disciple his emotions. I feel hopeless, but I know this. Right. He is going through the process of discipling his emotions. Yeah, and the point of discipling the emotions isn't to get rid of your emotions. Right. It's to feel the emotions in a more godly way. It's to mm-hmm. channel the emotions. It's actually to bring out more emotion, but to but a healthier course of your emotions. So you think about uh, where it says, in your anger, do not sin. Mm-hmm. There, it is possible to have to be righteously angry. And one of the things the Psalms does is to train you to be angry in the right ways. Right. Not to just feel emotion and then all of a sudden bring it all back down, you know, cognitively right. or something. What you're saying is David coaches his emotions not to stifle them, but right. to bring them to a godly fruition. So one of the ways that they do that is by using language in a certain way. And this, I think, is a point that I've heard you make before that is a really key uh, point in understanding what the Psalms are doing. They're using language in a specific way. One of the paradigms uh, is that I really like is Eugene Peterson, and he wrote a book called Praying the Psalms. And this little paradigm shows up in several of his books. But for example, he, he says this, and see if this resonates with you, if it's helpful to you. He said, we basically have three forms of language. Language level one is our first kind of language we learn. It's the language of a mother to a child or you when you're reading books to Marigold before she can speak in full sentences is you are saying things to her that contain no content. I mean, in the sense of conveyable information, she's not there yet, but they are rich relationally. Mm -hmm. I mean, just the cooing, the words, the things you say, the books you're reading and the way you're reading it bonds the two of you together. Mm -hmm. The second is we grow a little older. We realize everything in the world has a name and a label. And we realize we can communicate about it. And it's the language of information. And it's pretty amazing that little puffs of breath 
mm-hmm. could end up designing a spaceship. Mm-hmm. Because, and these are all good. The idea of what an amazing thing language is that we can trade information in such ways that we could create. The third is when we get a little older, we realize the language of motivation. And that means basically words can affect what happens. Mm-hmm. Well, sometimes negatively, of course, words can motivate people. Uh, I use the example of when my brother and I were little, I convinced him that if he would tie this blanket around him as a cape, he could jump <laughs> off the shed and he'd be fine. Well, I think he learned an important lesson from that. Yes. Now, he may still have trust issues today, but I think he learned an important lesson when he broke his arm and realized, gosh, that's not true. Mm-hmm. But I did. I learned an important lesson that words can affect reality. Mm-hmm. Now, also for good, encouraging yes. words are motivational speech that is very healing. So you have the language of relationship, the language of information, the language of motivation, and they are all very important. But here's what Peterson says. He says, the language of the Psalms is language one. Mm. That, that Is there some information? Sure. Is there a little motivation? Sure. But by and large, and I think if you read it, you'll realize this is language one. This is bonding, relational language. It's not a theological book. Mm-hmm. It's not a you-need-to-behave-this-way kind of book. It's a relational book. And I love that paradigm because, mm-hmm. honestly, uh, I think language one is the one that we use the least often. I think that's true, and I, I've always loved Peterson's analogies between learning to speak and the Psalms. Mm-hmm. And uh, in Dietrich Bonhoeffer's book on the Psalms, he's one of the people that popularized the thought that the Psalms are actually the words of Jesus. They are the words of Christ. And, of course, we get them literally as the words of Christ, like when he's hanging on the cross, right. and he quotes Psalm 22, for example. But mm-hmm. Bonhoeffer's broader point is every single word of the Psalms is a prayer of Christ because it is inspired by the Spirit. Mm-hmm. There's an interesting argument he makes that I won't go into, but he there, here's a great quote to, to what you just said. He says, The child learns to speak because the parent speaks to the child. The child learns to speak the language of the parents, so we learn to speak to God because God has spoken and speaks to us. In the language of the Father in heaven, God's children learn to speak with God. Repeating God's own words, we begin to pray to God. We ought to speak to God, and God wishes to hear us, not in the false and confusing language of our hearts, but in the clear and pure language that God has spoken to us in Jesus Christ. So these are relational words that we speak back to God. I mean, it's great when you think about it as God has given you words to pray back to him. They're divinely sanctioned, inspired words that you can pray back to him. And as we transition into talking about some of our favorite Psalms, I think some of the, one of the problems that, that arises when you think about it this way is, yes, but this all seems very mechanical. You know, right. so I'm just supposed to repeat these words and that's somehow going to, you know, change something about me or uh, the, you, these are the authorized where I thought that's kind of what Protestants and evangelicals were against is praying, right. you know, wrote uh, wooden prayers from a prayer book, mm-hmm. even if that prayer book is the Bible. So how do we begin praying the Psalms in a way that is meaningful? Great point. You know, the Jews particularly have struggled with this a little bit in that, for example, Orthodox Jews every day will recite out loud five Psalms. Mm -hmm. That's an Orthodox practice. And they'll say various Mm -hmm. blessings. And it's very easy for that to become rote. Mm -hmm. Uh, One of my favorite rabbis of the 20th century was a man named Joseph Soloveitchik. 
And he wrote a book called The Lonely Man of Faith. And in there, he addresses this problem to Jews, but the, his, his words are exactly the same for us. He said, the recitation of the Psalms is the precursor to prayer, not a prayer hmm. itself. It warms us up and gets us ready. And I, I like that in some sense, because what I find is reading the Psalm launches me mm -hmm. into a prayer. It, it conditions me with the language of prayer. And for example, uh, Tim Keller wrote a book called The Songs of Jesus. And what he does in that book is you have a Psalm. And then after the Psalm, he writes a little prayer. Mm -hmm. And again, I don't want that to be my prayer, but it's an example, a teaching of, look, you can read the psalm, particularly the ones that seem to identify with where you are in your emotion, and then let that inform your prayer mm -hmm. afterwards. So I like reading the psalms not as a prayer, but as a preparing me for it. Yeah. And once you get to know the psalms better, I mean, if you honestly, if you're reading through the psalms, Say, say you just read through them once every year. Right. Uh, read one psalm a day and you'll be through it twice every year. Yes. About year two or three or four or five, the psalms become so ingrained in you that that language comes tumbling out yeah. naturally like it did for Jesus and Paul mm -hmm. and Peter and John. Yeah, I think that, that that's a good analogy. Psalms are kind of like a starter log uh, to get yeah. your prayers going. I, I do think there's, there is value in praying the psalms themselves. Yeah, and I think we'll both talk about how certain psalms uh, we've enjoyed doing that in certain psalms, but um, it de there definitely has to be a transfer from the psalm itself and reading it and repeating it to internalizing it. So whether that's keeping the words the same, one of the things I think is the best thing to do is take a psalm and take a piece of paper, or a journal, or something like that, and write the psalm in your own words. And I don't yes. recommend this in other places in the Bible, you right. know, where you're just kind of making the Bible mean whatever it wants to mean. But you, you're, what you're doing in the psalm is you're starting to internalize what the words yes. mean. You're, you're reading it like a poem, which is what it is. Right. Uh, as opposed to like an epistle or like a history yeah, you're book. You're not really something. allowed to, to uh, personalize thou shalt not steal. Right. But you very much are... To, are me, intended to, to me, this means it's okay to borrow things. You know, you don't, you don't do that. Uh, to change the meaning the, the, right. the, of what the command says. But, but here what you're doing is you're exploring and deepening the meaning of what the psalm is saying by putting it into your own words. And what you'll notice is it's very hard to do this with a whole psalm. Yeah. Because once you get going, you will go off into other things. Something that you'll write will lead you to something else, will lead you to something else, and all of a sudden you're talking about what really matters to you in that moment as opposed to what the Psalms said. Right. And as I say, the Psalms are like a great, you know, fire starter, like a starter log that you put in the fireplace that catches everything else on fire. Because if you do this, you will begin to pray more fluently because it will direct you to certain nodes of your experience that you want to talk to God about, which is the goal anyway. Um, but it's getting you back into that relational language. To give you an example of that for me, kind of moving one of my favorite uh, into the kind of using the Psalms. One of my favorite Psalms is Psalm 63. And there's no particular reason for this. You may read it and go, yeah, that's fine. But it has always resonated with me. And I have said this verse one so many times. Oh God, you are my God. 
earnestly I seek you. Mm -hmm. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. And the psalm goes on, but I have started many a prayer when I have felt like I was in a desert place. And those are the words of David as he's in the wilderness of Judah. He's out in the desert running from Saul. Oh God, you are my God. There's a fundamental assertion, but Lord, I seek you, but my soul is thirsty. My flesh faints in a dry and weary place mm. where there is no water. And then, I, as you said, I then would go on and express my feelings and say, God, let's have a talk about where I am and, and what's happening with me. It, it is a launching point. Yeah. Yeah, one of the Psalms that I really like is uh, Psalm 73. And to me, this one and Psalm 143 are great, uh, I'd say starter Psalms, but I come back to these all the time. But they're great starter Psalms because uh, they walk through such an obvious emotional arc. Mm -hmm. So Psalm 73 begins, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And it's that sounds a little perfunctory when you read the next verse, because that this is where the emotional arc begins. It's going to end kind of where verse one is, but we're going to yeah. take the long route to get back there. Yeah. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. This is an emotion. And, and I guess it's not the proper definition of an emotion, but this is a feeling that we all have, mm -hmm. which is I have decided to follow God. And I'm trying to do what he's calling me to do. And I'm trying to do what's right. But the people that are not following God are having a lot better time. Right. Their, you know, their careers are going better. Their families are going better. They have more money. They're having more fun. They're, you know, what, whatever, right. insert the thing that you are frustrated about there. This is a very, very common thing to feel. Mm -hmm. Well, if I'm, you know, giving my life to God, why does my life not measure up to what I wanted it to be? Right. And theirs is surpassing all their wildest dreams. You know, you're scrolling through Instagram. Why are all my friends in Cancun <laughs> and I'm stuck yes. here with no power in Texas? You right. know, why, why is that happening? And what he does is he goes through all the things that he's thinking about those people in the first half of this psalm. Mm -hmm. And then he allows God to give him some perspective on what's really going on in this situation. So part of this is, hey, your vision is not quite right. You filled in the gaps with the wrong details. And it goes through and it says, you know, these people, it looks good now, but you know at base that no one can be happy forever without God. Mm -hmm. You know, so you get to that. And uh, when you get to the middle point of the psalm, he says, when I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went to the sanctuary of God and then I discerned their end. And then he has a reversal of what he thinks about the situation. And actually, he begins to have pity on these people because their feet are in slippery places. Yes. They will fall to ruin. They could be destroyed in a moment. They could be swept up by terrors. Um, but I, it says in verse 3, am continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. He, he's listing things off that are unique to his circumstance because he's following the Lord. And he gets to the end, and he says, For those who, are, those who are far from you will perish. But for me, as for me, yeah. it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord my refuge, and I will tell of all your works. And so this is an entire emotional arc that goes through this psalm. Resentment, bitterness, unmet expectations, 
clarifying, back to Brugman's perspective, uh-huh. a reorientation to, you know what, I get to be with God. And there are all these things that come with that, and that's the place where I really want to be. So I don't want to be over there on the grass that's looking mm-hmm. greener. I want to be right where I am. And you, this goes back to what you said. He's not invalidating his emotions. He's discipling them. Right. Saying, yes, I feel that way. And you know why I feel that way? Because I'm taking a really short-term view. Mm-hmm. Now I step back, I go into the sanctuary of God, and I realize my God is eternal, and so mm-hmm. am I. And all of a sudden, he, he disciples his emotions into a different perspective. Right. That's a great, great way of, of thinking about that. You see in Psalm 63, by the way, I'll go back to my favorite, because I told you how it started, and it starts with just that raw emotion of, I am in a dry and weary land. But then, let me tell you how it goes on. He begins, once again, to reset the perspective, coming out with a surprising reorientation, if you will. So when I read the rest of it, he says, but I have looked upon you in the sanctuary. He's looking, thinking back to God's faithfulness when he was able to see God's uh, in the sanctuary. I've seen your power and glory. And you know what? Your steadfast love is better than life. Mm Mm-hmm. My lips will praise you. I will bless you as long as I live. In your name, I will lift up my hands. He hasn't invalidated his emotions of loneliness and wondering, but what he has said is, but I have seen your power and your glory. Mm -hmm. And as for me, I will praise your name forever. He goes on further and he said, my soul clings to you. Mm -hmm. Your right hand upholds me. And this is that same pattern of being honest about how we feel Mm -hmm. and then allowing God to take us to a different perspective on it. Yeah, absolutely. I think those middle verses of 5 through 8 in Psalm 63 are some that I think about a lot. Um, I'll add one more that I think is a really great psalm to pray through, and it's Psalm 27. It's a more famous psalm, um, and you probably have heard it in some of the songs that we sing, because it begins, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And this psalm is one uh, that has little stanzas, little mm-hmm. verses. And uh, it, it's one that inspires confidence. It's one that um, teaches us to be triumphant in the Lord, which is not something that we consider a Christian emotion very often. But, mm-hmm. but feeling confident and triumphant and proud that we are um, Christians can be righteous. It can be very righteous to do that. Mm -hmm. And this one just has several beautiful passages. One thing I have asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Um, But one of the ones I really like to pray, one of the ones I think is is really reorienting is in verse 7 and 8. Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud, be gracious and answer me. You have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, do I seek. Yeah. And then he says, hide not your face from me. Okay, so these are three thoughts that can run through our mind in rapid succession. Mm-hmm. Are you listening? You've said seek your face, and so I'm seeking it. And then why are you hiding your face from me? Yeah. Right. These are things that happen in our prayer life all the time, right up next to each other. And this psalm really captures that. But it, But it is a psalm that leads us to a place of, I don't have to be afraid of anyone because I'm seeking the face of the Lord. And if I if I am standing before the face of the Lord, none of the things that threaten me really matter. That's one of the what's one of the messages of this psalm is because I am with God, because I'm seeking after God, 
I don't have to be afraid. That's a powerful psalm to pray in a lot of different circumstances. It is. This is a great introduction to the psalms, and I hope it's given everybody a, a reason to dive into the psalms and find these things. I might leave you with one last thing, because I do think David was a great sinner. He is a very faithful man, and he was a great sinner, and both those statements are true. Psalm 32 is one of my favorites when I feel the weight of my sin, and I know this happens to all of us at times, and uh, David obviously felt the weight of his sin. He starts out Psalm 32 by saying this, Blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. And if you know this psalm in the setting, you realize David's not thinking of himself as that man. Mm -hmm. He's thinking, how blessed would it be when the Lord doesn't give you? And then I'll leave you with this verse in verse 5, because here's the encouragement. David said, I acknowledged my sin to you, and I did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Mm -hmm. He becomes what he so desperately wants. Blessed is the man whose sins God doesn't count against him. Yeah, and then he does it. And then he does it. Yeah. Thanks for listening to the So We Speak podcast. If you like what you hear, go ahead and leave a comment, leave a review, email us, tell us what you like about it, tell us what you'd improve about it. Thanks to all you guys who are listening, and we'll see you next week on the So We Speak podcast.